What's happening, party people, and welcome back to another episode of the Ice Cold Show. It's your boy, Ice Cold, and first things first, I want to apologize because this episode is going to come out a little later than usual. That is due to me having a flat tire and having to change it. But enough of that, let's jump into basketball. Number one, let's hit our quote. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. That's Ralph Waldo Emerson. That's enough. You don't need, that shouldn't even need any explaining. That, that's it right there. First game we're going to break down is the Bucks and the Hawks. The Hawks win game one, 116 to the Bucks 113. Game one of the conference finals was amazing. It was good from start to finish. Trey Young came out and he inserted himself early on. He put up 12 points in the quarter, adding four rebounds and two assists, and also shot the ball 60% from the field. Though he was 0 for 3 from 3 in the quarter, he still led both teams in scoring for the quarter. The Bucks started off the game playing through their star as well, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He dominated the paint, scoring 8 points, adding 6 rebounds, and shooting 50% from the field. Drew Holiday was aggressive early on, scoring 6 points, but he also was able to find his teammates and racked up 5 assists. Chris Middleton had a very slow start. He, w- he went over uh, 0 for 4 in the first quarter. But fortunately for the Bucks, where he lacked in scoring, uh, Bobby Portis was able to come in off the bench, play four minutes, and was 3 for 4 from the field. Neither team was shooting the ball good from three early on. Uh, in the first, as both teams under 20% from long range, the difference is in the first the, was the Bucks' ability to keep the ball moving. They had nine assists in the quarter compared to the Hawks, who just had three. Second quarter, the Bucks come out on a 6-0 run uh, to extend their lead to nine before the Hawks were able to find their footing. However, Trey Young, he absolutely lit the Bucks up again in the second quarter. And his team even hit a couple threes, scoring 13 points in the quarter, finishing the half with 25 points, while the rest of the Hawks only had 29 points altogether. Hawks were able to erase the nine-point lead and even held a one-point lead around the four-minute mark, but it was short-lived as the Bucks immediately took the lead back after a timeout and Drew Holiday coming out of the timeout and hitting the jumper. Bucks held on to that lead and built on it a little bit, taking a five-point lead, score 59-54 going into half. Drew put up 10 points in the quarter himself, giving him 16 points at half, Giannis added 14 points, 6 assists, and 7 rebounds for the Bucks, while Middleton was able to turn around his bad first quarter and put up 9 points in the second on 50% shooting. The first half, though, the key to that, the reason why the Bucks had the lead, is the first half was all about taking care of the ball and setting up your teammates. As the Hawks uh, weren't able to do so, the Bucks doubled the Hawks' assist total in the first half and assists and committed half the amount of turnovers that the Hawks committed as well. Taking care of the ball, getting guys open, extending your lead to five, and you guys got the momentum. And then out of nowhere, the third quarter came, and the momentum shifted. Uh, And it shifted in the favor of the Hawks, and they were able to ride that energy all the way through the third quarter, and ultimately they got a victory. 
Uh, the Bucks only made one field goal in the first four minutes of the third, and that's P.J. Tucker hit a layup like very, very early. After Giannis hit two free throws, extending the lead to a seven, the Bucks' next possessions were as follows. A Drew Holiday missed from three, loose ball foul on P.J. Tucker, Giannis turnover with the offensive foul, and the Hawks on the other end of that score on five of the first seven possessions in the quarter, bringing them right back into the game. So you squandered your lead as soon as the quarter started because you came out relaxed. Uh, to me, what I saw from the Bucks is, hey, we just beat Kevin Durant in the Nets. There's no way this team is as good as them. Uh, we should be able to breeze right through. And they were pleasant. They were unpleasantly surprised, should I say, because the Hawks are one of those teams that make great adjustments, just like um, – with Ty Lue and the Clippers, they always come out and they're able to change the game plan, fix whatever it was that was hurting them, and be a better team. That's what I saw coming out in this third quarter. Uh, the Bucks were scrambled at this point. They tried to match the Hawks' production uh, to no avail. Uh, they could not be stopped in the third quarter at Atlanta. Uh, once again, like in the first two quarters, as you could probably guess, it was Trey Young. And you could tell the Hawks found something that they loved within the Bucks defense. And that was Trey Young being able to get Brooke Lopez in the pick and rolls. And because Brooke Lopez doesn't have any lateral lateral quickness, uh, and the Bucks were, since he can't have lateral quickness, the Bucks have him sagging off of Trey Young. So as Trey Young's coming across, coming off of screens, Brooke Lopez is sitting deep in the key trying to protect the rim. But Trey Young being uh, such a great shooter, you have to kind of show your face or come out there on him. If you don't, he's going to hit the three, or he's gonna, at least going to shoot it, and now you're, you're scrambling to get open. If you don't come out and he doesn't shoot, he's got two other options. Either he's going to go straight to the rim and attack you at the rim, or dump it off, or he's going to dribble, dribble in a little bit, get in that mid-range area, suck the defense in, and kick it out to his shooters for three. Either way, it's an, it was unstoppable what the, Bucks were, what the Hawks were doing to the Bucks. They just had no answers, man. One play in particular that I remember is Trey Young on uh, was being guarded by Drew Holiday. He gets a pick and roll by John Collins. Drew Holiday tries to fight over the screen, and he's you know he's hedging over to the top of the screen, and Trey Young sees that. So what he does, presence of mind, basketball IQ, all that above, he does a filthy crossover, shaking Drew Holiday out of his shoes. I ain't never seen Drew Holiday get broke down like that, like straight blended him. And then he stopped at the three. Bobby Portis, who was in the game, sitting in the key, didn't nowhere near him, didn't even come out to, to contest at first, kind of waited for the shot. Trey Young, being the showman that he is, stopped, set his feet, took a little jab step, step then hit a little shimmy, ah, 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 put up the three, buy y'all money. And things like that, I mean, you just can't allow things like that to happen, not in your home arena, not a team that you should be beating, you already shouldn't have in the game, now you're giving them life. That just smells trouble, and that's what we saw. Uh, John Collins was amazing in the third quarter as well. He put up 10 points, but he also added seven rebounds, dominating the paint on the boards, and he caught a beautiful lob from Trey Young off the glass. It was amazing. Trey Young go to the rim. You could tell he kind of looks over his left shoulder, sees that uh, John Collins is going to be creeping down toward the rim. He goes up where it looks like for a shot, but then he throws it hard off the rim. And the whole time he throws it up, he's looking in the sky, and who catches it? John Collins. And where does he put it on? Brooke Lopez's head. It was a beautiful play. Uh, Sports Center type top 10 material right there. 
And like I said, the momentum, they had it, and now they have a three-point lead along with the momentum. Now, the fourth quarter of this game was absolutely incredible. It was a true battle with the Hawks coming out, adding to their lead, making it five. Bucks didn't fold. They battled harder with Giannis abusing the Hawks in the paint. With five minutes left in the games, the Hawks' lead was gone, and now the Bucks had all the momentum as the game was tied and the crowd alive once more. The Bucks then built a five-point lead thanks to the duo of Holiday and Giannis. Giannis scored four points, assisted by Drew Holiday, and then Holiday hit a three, giving the Bucks a seven-point lead, and they had their own quick little 7-0 run. And the Hawks were able to, you know, battle back, though, after that seven-point lead. Uh, and with one minute and 40 seconds left, John Collin hits a three, bringing the lead down to one. From there, Trey had his way. Getting to the rim, drawing the defense, and though he was he missed the layup, Capella was able to go up there, grab the rebound, and finish, giving the Hawks the lead. Connington then, Pat Connington then airmailed a three, hit nothing. Man, straight, just offline. A guy where I would say you don't want that guy taking a shot. As good as I think Pat Connington is as a player, he's a solid role player, and he's a good shooter. But as we saw, maybe the moment was just a little too big for him, and he was nowhere near it. Uh, and that was with 29 seconds left. And who do you think got the rebound? Not John Collins, not Capella, Trigger Trey Young. And he hit it. He hit the final four free throws of the game. Middleton missed a game tying three late, and at the buzzer, and basically the Hawks win. Obviously, as you most know, if you watch any basketball or whatever, the best player on this team is Trey Young, and to me, he was the best player on the floor, and the best player in the arena. Man in the room, Trey Young. He scored 48 points, 11 assists on seven rebounds, shooting 50% from the field and knocking down four threes. Trey Young is a pure superstar. Please, let's get this right. He's not a star. He's not a great young player. He doesn't have up next. He's a superstar, and he has now. Never, ever, ever will I again, ever, ever, disrespect Trey Young. By disrespect, I mean believing that there was somehow, some way that anyone in the NBA was going to guard him. I thought the Bucks were fully equipped with Chris Middleton, with Drew Holiday, and with Giannis and Brick Lopez at the rim, protecting the rim. I thought that they, this would be the toughest matchup he had, especially since Danny Green got hurt last round. And I was completely wrong. He put up almost 50 on these guys, and this is a guy who scores close to 50 every year. He got 50 in his rookie year. I think he got 49 the next year and another 50 or something, and now he has 48 in the playoffs. Um, it's The key to Trey Young to me, and which what I love watching about him, uh, is there's nothing that shakes him off his game. Like, no matter if he's shooting bad, no matter if you put a big guy on him, if you put a smaller guy, well, there's not many guys smaller than him. But when I say big guy, I'm talking about if he gets a big switch shot on him or if he has, like, the guards who are a little bigger, bigger, bigger than him and stronger and still have the quickness, it doesn't matter. If he's missing shots or making shots, it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter if he's got turnovers or not. He's still going to make the, plat the, the passes. He has this confidence in himself and his ability to play the game where he just believes no matter what, he's going to figure it out. And at this point, I believe too. Not only is he playing like good basketball, making the right plays, it's an entertaining style of basketball. There's a showmanship to it, which is what you love from Steph Curry. And you love from those, those guys who pull up from deep and things like that. Uh, Damian Lillard. Yeah, yeah, you can hit a three. It's still going to get the arena hype. But when you're pulling up from 
you know, half court, it's different. Same with Trey. When you're doing your shimmy shake before you even shoot the ball, it's one thing you do it in the air when you know it felt good and looked good coming out your hand. Before you even shot the ball, you were so confident that it was going to go in, you were able to celebrate before you even shot it. It, it was amazing, man. His, his ability to pick his spots now is the only thing that he really lacked in his rookie year, and he can do it like at the elite level with with all the with all the best. He knows how to pick his spots. He knows when to attack. He knows when to pass. He knows when to pull it out, reset the offense. He knows when to run it on the break. He just figured out the game, man, and I love what I'm seeing out of Trey Young. Uh Clint Capella, another guy on this Rocket team, um are uh, on this Hawks team who the Rockets said, "Hey, we don't need him on our team. Uh we don't need a center. We're going to do this this new experiment where we have no center." And now, guess who finds himself back in the the Western or in the conference finals? Not James Harden in the conference finals. Uh, not Russell Westbrook. No, it's Clint Capella who goes to the Hawks, and he's been everything that they needed. Finds himself with another chance to make the finals. Um, this time, he's up 1-0 and doesn't have to play the Warriors. He's going against the Bucks, and he finishes with 12 points, and he has 19 rebounds, so close to 20. Uh, John Collins, he's earning himself a super nice payday as these playoffs continue. Um, he and Trey Young have such a nice chemistry together on the floor. Uh, put up 23 points on 15 rebounds tonight and on, on 11 and 16 from the field. The only shots he missed were the threes he took. He was one for five. So if he doesn't shoot those threes and gets to the rims, who knows what kind of game he can have. Um, amazing. Him and, him and Clint Capella both have double-digit rebounds totaling up to 34 rebounds as a unit is amazing, man. It's really amazing what they were able to do in the paint, especially when you're playing um, Antetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis all together at the same time. For you to get dominated on the paint like that, it was it's all effort for the Hawks. And, you know, even uh, Kent Bazemore made a comment after the alley-oop that was made. He said that uh, they would do that in the practice all the, all the time, and he said they would never pull that off in the game or whatever, and he said, now look at them pulling it off in the conference finals. Just, you know, things like that, man. Like I said, the chemistry, um, their confidence is at an all-time all -time high, and regardless of their confidence being high, they're still being able to play within themselves. They're not doing things that don't fit their team. Even when they lose, they lose going down, playing their way, making adjustments, and doing what they can do best. I like what I'm seeing out of the Hawks. Um, to switch it over to the Bucks. Though they lost, the Bucks got an awesome performance from their stars. Holiday and Giannis were both 14 and 25 each from the field. Drew putting up 33 points and 10 assists, and Giannis putting up 34 points and 12 rebounds. Uh, also falling one assist shy of a triple-double. It was a good game for Giannis, man. He was able to get to his spots. He didn't settle a lot. He got to the rim. He dominated the paint. He did what he was supposed to do. And the same for Drew Holiday. Uh, didn't shoot a lot of jumpers, and when he was shooting them, he was making them, so it was no big deal. He was getting to the rim. He was making plays. I definitely saw Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday have a great game. Now, if I had to say why the box squandered this game away, especially having a lead with under two minutes left in the game, I'll point the, my finger at two things. It would be Chris Middleton's inability to shoot the ball from deep, 0 for 9 in this game, and he didn't just shoot the ball bad from deep. Overall, he was 26% from the field and finished with 15 points. Um, the other two stepped up, and the one they missing out was uh, was Chris Middleton. It's weird because with the Bucks, it seems like they can never get all three guys on the same page uh, playing together and all have those big games together in these playoffs. 
But I feel like it's coming eventually. One of these games, they'll probably blow the Hawks out because they'll have all three of them clicking on the, on the same cylinder. Um, and the secondly, the second reason why I think the Bucks lost was the inability to defend Trey Young in the pick and roll. If the Bucks want success in this series, the best lineup they have will be Giannis playing the five, similar to with the Lakers. When the Lakers need to get a win, when the things are tight, what do they do? They put Anthony Davis at the five. Same here with Giannis. Lopez, he is going to be a liability. Every time he's on the floor, at the same time that Trey Young is on the floor, not only is he going to get cooked on defense, but he's going to get you in foul trouble. He's going to put you in the bonus, and the Hawks are going to hunt him every time. Uh, not only is he getting cooked on defense, but he only added one rebound in this game, uh, seven points and one for four from three. Now, I can't just blame Brooke Lopez because overall, it is the scheme that they're running and they're just sagging off and giving Trey so much time to make decisions off the pick and roll. He has all the world to shimmy, to shake, to look around, talk to the crowd, decide if he wants to dribble, which hand he wants to shoot the layup. In. He got all the time in the world. Um, I do like to see Bobby Portis play some more minutes. Um, he played in this game. He did. He, he was solid. Um but even then, he like I said, he wasn't able to guard Trey Young, so it's a it's a fundamental thing with their defense that they're going to figure out. Now, the Hawks have now went on the road for three straight game ones, being an underdog, and won all three. First round going into New York, second round going into um, Philadelphia, and the third round now going into Milwaukee. They all come away with victories. That's all about the way you play. The way you prepare, and to me, that's coaching. Nate McMillan has his guys believing. They walk in a series knowing that they can compete. Not only knowing, not only do they come in a series thinking that they can compete, they come in there with the idea that they're supposed to win these games. And when you think that you're supposed to win these games, you usually do, man. I really, really believe that. Um, I'm loving what I'm seeing for the Hawks. I thought the Bucks would, would steamroll them in maybe five, and it's still possible. You know, it's just one game. You can't you can't look too much into it because the Bucks still played a solid game and didn't get a production from Chris Middleton, and they only lost by three. Um, same with the with the Hawks. They had a really slow first quarter from their from their standards, especially from everyone not named Trey Young, and they still were able to pull off a three point victory. So you can't really say too much in either direction. It was really a good game. I'm interested to see what's going on today and when they play and see who's going to come out with the victory. Um, the the Bucks can't afford to lose this one, so I would think the Bucks figure a way to pull it out, but. Do Trey Young and, and John Collins and the rest of the Hawks, they're going to be in every game. They're going to be in every single game. Their role players believe in themselves. They know their roles. If you get relaxed or comfortable at any moment, they're going to keep playing no matter what the scoreboard reads. And then you'll look up and be like, how in the hell are we down five? Um, so definitely loving what I'm seeing out of this series. I can't wait to see more of it. Second, the last game we got. Clippers and the Suns. Uh, Clippers turn it around and win 106-92 to 92, uh, to get closer to tying the series up 2-1 as we have another game coming up in L.A. Uh, tomorrow, uh, which is Saturday. Chris Paul, uh, he returned for the Suns this game, uh, but uh, they got worked. Uh, they got worked in the third quarter, resulting in the end of their nine-game playoff win streak. While the Clippers win game three, for the third straight series, after dropping the first two games in Dallas, the first two games in Utah, and the first two games against Phoenix, they go home and they win game three. 
uh, well, the first first series they actually went on the road and win game three and four. But still, they have been undefeated in game threes this season, and that's big ups to Ty Lue and the way he's able to adjust. To me, the two best coaches left in the in the playoffs are uh, Monty Williams and Ty Lue. You can rank them how you want to. I think they're both equal. Uh, if you said, hey, I think Ty Lue's a better coach than Monty Williams, or if you said, hey, I think Monty Williams is a better coach than Ty Lue, I wouldn't argue with you. I'd say, okay, fair enough. And I think, obviously, you got Nate McMillan right behind. Um, Clippers came out early uh, playing like this was an, an elimination game. Storming out to an eight-point lead after one being led by Reggie Jackson. But they also received solid projection from Paul George and Zubats, who was in his uh, who started in the series once again. Neither team was super efficient shoot super efficient shooting in the first, both only making nine field goals. Uh, but the Clippers the Clippers did it in on two less attempts and shot 10 free throws in the quarter, compared to just one by the Suns. And let me tell you, it was definitely something you noticed early on. The refs wanted to be noticed in the game. That's the only explanation I know. The refs wanted to be the star of the show. They wanted to be talked about. I guess they didn't appreciate people talking smack while them reviewing all the, all the last game too because in this game, I felt like they did a lot of ticky-tack whistleblowing, and um, I didn't like it. I hate when the refs get too involved in the game and just let them play. It's the playoffs. I hate when you can look at something and point to an advantage. Like, man, the refs really did make five bad calls for this team or whatever. Like, just play, man. Call the game the right way. Like, y'all are the, just like these are the best of the best NBA players, we expect the best of the best for these players. If you're, if, are from the refs, you're going to hold players like Paul George or Ben Simmons accountable for the way he performs. Referees need to be held to the same standard because it's ridiculous. Um, not to give the Suns any excuse, though, to why they weren't able to get the lead in the first. Uh, CP, who was returning after having the COVID break, and uh, Booker, who had his nose broken in three places after the headbutt uh, by Patrick Be Beverly. Well, I would say clash of heads. He didn't headbutt Devin Booker. They, 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 they heads clash. Um, in game three, they were scoreless in the first quarter, and they went for a combined 0 for 9. Aiton, who was the hero for uh, last game and also has been uh, one of the most consistent players that the Suns had this year, had another dominant first quarter, picking up 10 points and four uh, rebounds. And he led all scores in the first. Only Aiton and Jay Crowder of the Suns starters scored in the quarter. Another example of the referees controlling the game, Mikel Bridges only played a minute and 40 seconds before picking up his second foul. And uh, lastly, a key moment that happened late in the first quarter, um, which is crazy because before this playoff, who would have thought that we'd be saying it's key that this player got hurt? But uh, my boy Cameron Payne, CP15, a.k.a. Campaign, he got his ankle rolled up. Uh, he rolled his ankle on a loose ball, going for a loose ball. It kind of got rolled up on. And he actually was called out for the remainder of the game, which is important because though Etwan Moore has been playing the reserve minutes for Cameron Payne as Chris Paul was out, Chris Paul coming back from COVID, uh, played like 39 minutes tonight. And I would think you would kind of want to ease him in, especially knowing that you won the first two games. And Cameron Payne has been playing so well, you would say that, hey, Chris Paul couldn't find his stroke early, having trouble scoring the ball. You put in Cameron Payne, and, uh, you know, he, he does his thing, brings the energy up. You guys go on a run. And I felt like that really hurt them later as this game went on. After the disaster of the first quarter, the Suns, however, picked up their defensive intensity in the second, holding the Clippers to only 17 points in the quarter and scoring their highest point total of the game, 27 points. 
Suns forced four turnovers in the second quarter after not forcing any in the first and also picked up their field goal percentage from 37% to 45%. Both Chris Paul and Booker scored seven in the quarter, so they're mirroring each other, zero points for each in the first. Now they both got seven in the court in the second. Uh, Booker shooting the ball 50% from the field, and Chris, who struggled to find his rhythm scoring and shooting the ball, added five assists and two steals with his seven points. Mikael Bridges, who had to sit early because of the foul trouble, put up seven points himself as the whistles were evenly distributed this quarter and the, the Suns going a perfect five for five from the line. The Clippers were led into the half by Paul George, who had 13 points after the first two quarters, scoring eight in the second, where he was the only Clipper to find a rhythm as his team shot 32% from the field in the second and were, only, and were 0, for 3, 0 for 4 from three. After holding on to an eight-point lead after the first, the Suns went on a crazy run and led by six. So that's a 14-point swing at one point in the second before Paul George scored the last four points in the quarter to cut the lead down to two. The third quarter was when the Clippers separated themselves, and they separated themselves for good. They had an amazing 21-3 run sparked by the star the, their starters. They were able to force the Suns into turnover after turnover and not only were they playing hard they were playing extremely physical bodying up on the perimeter getting on getting on the boards everybody had a body on them and not, not only was the defense intensity amazing the Clippers shot the ball 58% from the field and were also 50% from three the Suns tried in the third to call themselves back into this game uh, but their starters were still struggling to score and if they can't make shots as far as Chris Paul and Devin Booker in this game, then it's going to be much harder for the role players to get good shots too. Terrence Mann was also amazing again, and he's becoming a household name in these playoffs. He scored 10 points in the quarter after not really doing much in the first two quarters, and he really didn't do anything in the fourth. But in the third, when it was low energy and when it seemed like the game was getting out of hand, Terrence Mann came in and he provided great energy. 10 points in the quarter, added four rebounds, while Paul George stepped it up and put 10 points and five rebounds uh, up on the board himself in the third quarter. We have more of the same in the fourth. Not much to really talk about here. Suns still not able to get in the rhythm. Ended up playing 11 players in the fourth. Basically, um, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like basically clearing the benches off and waving the white flag like, okay, you got us on this one. We'll, we'll see you for game four. Reggie Jackson led the Clippers in the fourth, and he was the constant. Whenever it seemed like the Suns were trying to go on a run or trying to make a couple shots, Reggie Jackson was able to keep things calm, uh, be a veteran point guard and a leader, scored 10 points in the fourth, and kept everyone involved. The man in the room tonight is playoff P. Paul George, who had 27 points, and get this, on 15 rebounds. Yes, 15 rebounds, and he added eight assists. Uh, unfortunately for Paul George, he's still unable to find his shooting stroke, but he did everything else on the floor for the Clippers offensively and defensively. The last couple games, he's been guarding Cameron Payne. With Cameron Payne being out, uh, he takes the next defensive matchup. He don't care who it is. And this was a must-win game to me for the Clippers, and they got it. The only concern I have is as good as, as good as it is to get a win and as important as it was for you to get the win, Paul George has got to find a way to shoot the ball better. Whether it be not settling for jumpers, uh, taking everything to the rim and trying to uh, find your rhythm at the free throw line. Um, I don't know what it is for him. Is he not getting to his spots? Maybe Ty Lue, who I think, like I said, I think is an amazing coach. I have confidence that he'll find a way to uh, get his guy more involved. But 
got to do something, man, because if you continue to shoot the ball bad, I don't think the, the Suns will. And you're already down 2-0. You can't shoot the ball bad in game four. I don't expect them to win. I'll say it here now. Mark my words. Pay attention. Hold me to it. If Paul George doesn't shoot the ball 45% or higher in the next game, I do not think that the Clippers will win. Uh, Reggie Jackson has earned himself a nice contract coming into the next season, uh, putting up 23 points in this one and being efficient from the field, scoring 52%. He's been the cost, the constant for some, um, for the Clippers, for someone who, who can get to the rim, uh, take and make high percentage shots for the team, uh, a guy who was kind of out of the league. You didn't really, I don't even remember where he was before he was on the Clippers. Maybe it was still Detroit. But a guy who was pretty much a wash, and we felt like, hey, after he left the Thunder and got that big deal, he was pretty much a nobody, couldn't stay healthy, things like that. Man, he's been able to show off, man. He's been great in these playoffs. I really like what I'm seeing for Red Jackson. I'm interested to see if he's going to be with the Clippers next year or if he's going to be on another team and what the other team would do with him. Uh, Ivica Zubats, who we mentioned, played well in game two. Uh, this is a guy who the Lakers had on their team, and I loved when we had him, and he, we ended up letting him go to the Clippers for Mike Muscala, who we barely used and didn't even play, which was, to me, completely stupid. Uh, Zubats has been great. Uh, we mentioned uh, in game two he got dunked on about three times, but he didn't let it phase him, and he was big for the Clippers, putting up 15 points and 16 rebounds and hit 9 of 10 from the line. The key about Zubac is he was able to kind of mirror where DeAndre Ayton is. And honestly, in game two, he pretty much, uh, I would say he kind of outplayed Ayton. Uh, he had 15 points and six re 16 rebounds, and Ayton had 18 and 9. So, you know, I, I would say I would give the edge to Zubac. And if he's able to kind of counteract what Ayton is bringing, and then you got Paul George, and if Kawhi does come back, then this series is straight even. And I think maybe you can kind of count on more production from the bench of the Clippers because they got their, their others are more for sure guys like what Rondo and Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris is a little more proven than the guys like Cam Johnson. But still, man, they've been playing well, so it'll be interesting if Zubox can keep it up, how it affects the series. Uh, to flip it over to the Sun side, they had a rough shooting night with Chris Paul and Devin Booker combining to go 10 of 40. 10 of 40 in this game. They both scored 15 points with Chris adding 12 assists with his 15 points. Um, nothing to get too concerned about. They asked Devin Booker if the mask maybe was affecting the way he shot. And he said, no, I just I just shot the ball bad. I mean, I played bad. Uh, didn't affect me. It happens. You, you're not going to shoot the ball well every game. What I liked is they never lacked, lacked confidence. Chris Paul is going to take a couple games maybe for him to find his rhythm. At least one game to find his rhythm. I expect him to be uh, better next game. Um, I expect him to find his rhythm and start taking these uh, these guys off the dribble, um, like the big guys like Zubac and stuff. If he's going to be on the floor, I expect Chris Paul to start hunting them down and killing them with the mid-range jumpers. DeAndre Aiden, as I mentioned, he had 18 points and 9 rebounds. He shot the ball great, 69% this game, while Mikael Bridges turned around his game after the two early fouls and shot 62% from the field and finished with 13 points and 6 rebounds. As much as this game was a blowout, I think that right there, you got to be encouraged if you're a Suns fan. Like, hey, these guys, Aiden's pretty much shooting 70% in this game, and Bridges is over 60. If Devin Booker and Chris Paul are half of themselves, man, this game could have been, it could have been over. And if he would have went down 3-0, the series definitely would have been over. Um, 
Going into the summary of the game, basically I would say the Suns can't put too much into this loss with their inability, inability to shoot the ball, going 38% from the field and 31% from three. And the Clippers, on the other hand, need to take what they did in this victory and build on the performance. Kawhi was in the arena tonight, and that's got to be a positive sign, not only for the players, but for the Clippers fans, um, and as they got their first ever conference finals win, uh, franchise history. And I think if they can even this series up in game four, I think that they will win the series altogether. No matter what happens the rest of the series, if Kawhi comes back or not, if they can win game four and tie the series up, I think they have all the confidence in the world and they will literally believe like this is what we do. We lose the first two games and we win the next four. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. I think next game will be more important or will be very, very, very important. Um, this one was important. Because I don't think you win four in a row. Now you got a chance to, I guess, lose one and still got to win three in a row. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But another thing about Kawhi being in the arena, he wasn't on the floor. Um, could be a various arena, uh, various reasons. We know Kawhi is not the most social person as far as with the, the, the fans and the media and the interactions and stuff. He's more of a private person, which I respect. Um, I actually like that no matter what he's done in his career, he's never changed as far as his personality didn't kind of respect that because guys, as they, they improve in status and they improve in money, sometimes they get uh, become a different person. And I like Kawhi being who he was. He had his family up there. Maybe he wanted to watch the game and be separate with his family. But he, it looked like he enjoyed it. He had a couple fist pumps and claps and things like that. But another reason why I thought maybe he was up there was maybe his knee injury is worse than we think. Maybe he's got a brace on his knee or something. Maybe he can't really walk. Maybe he... Just didn't want to be on the sideline in case somebody comes crashing out of bounds and they don't hit his knee. Who knows? It's so much that you can uh, that you can look at and try to guess and make a hypothesis about with that. But I thought it was very interesting that he wasn't on the floor. And even uh, Van Gundy said it during the game, like, why is Kawhi in the bleachers? To me, he took it more or less like, why is he not sitting with his team? And why wouldn't he support his team and be on the bench? And to me, that was the first thing I thought about when I saw it. I don't know. To me, they say it's just a knee strain, and we know it's serious. You never question a guy's injuries. But we've seen guys play with, uh, you know, at least Anthony Davis tried to get out there with his injury. Devin Booker played with the broken nose. He didn't even put on a mask. James Harden went out there with the grade two hamstring. Um, who else? Donovan Mitchell played with no ankle pretty much. He couldn't get any lift. He was terrible in game six. Not terrible performing, but it was terrible to watch him not be able to perform to his high standards that he's, that we're used to seeing. Mike Conley even toughed it out and came back, and you could tell he wasn't really healthy. And we see Kawhi, who is in a contract year, who has every reason or who has every chance to walk away. Maybe this is his way to say, is this team actually good enough? Is it worth me staying? Is it worth me risking my, my health and my need to get back on the floor? It's, it's just so much because we don't know anything really about Kawhi, except that he's one of the best two-way players in the game. And at that point, whatever his decision is and whatever the reason why he's, he's sitting out, if his teammates respect it, who am, I to, who am I to have a fault with it? So going to be interesting to see game, game four. I'm excited. Still... I love players on the Clippers. I love Patrick Beverly. I love Reggie Jackson. Um, love Paul George. Even I, I, I like Paul George. I like his game. I like Kawhi's game. Um, but I hate the Clippers, so I can't root for their success. So hopefully you guys lose. Um, next, we got two coaching changes we're going to announce today before we wrap up the episode. 
Jason Kidd is returning back to Dallas for the third time, but this time he's returning as a head coach, replacing his former head coach and looking to get the same result he did when he was in Dallas as a player, an NBA championship. Uh, Jason Kidd comes to the Mavs after being an assistant with the Lakers for the last two years and being one of the the vital parts and being in charge of basically running and spearheading the Lakers offense. It was rumored and it was it was to be said that Frank Vogel handled the defense and he kind of deferred to Jason Kidd and Lionel Hollins when it came to the offensive side of the ball. And with Jason Kidd's help, we were able to win the, the title in 2020. Kidd has a record of 183 uh, and 190 as a head coach, spending one year in Brooklyn, four years with the Bucks. And now he's going to be with the, the Mavs. The Mavs also were able to lure Nike exec Nico Harrison to run basketball operations, a guy who has been pursued by many teams over the years due to his many connections with NBA players. It's not rocket science, man. These players, everybody who's team Nike, they go through um, Nico Harrison. They've talked to him. They've met him. they got good relationships with him. And from all accounts of what I hear about the guy, he's a great guy. This hire is strictly on the fact that he has these relationships with players. He can contact the players. Players like him. They're going to pick up his phone calls, and they're going to have conversations with him, which is what the, the Mavericks are looking for because they need to do something to make sure Luka stays long-term and they can build some pieces around him and not waste his youth because they have a superstar on their hands. And, you know, as good as you are, um, as tough as you played the Clippers, two first-round exits has got to be underperforming, especially when you traded Trey Young to the Hawks to get Luka, gave up a first-round pick, and he's in the conference finals right now. So going to be interesting to see what the Mavs are going to do next year, not just on the floor, but who's going to be on the floor for them, which moves are, gonna, are they going to make. It's going to be interesting going down in Dallas this year. And kind of tied in with the Mavs was the reason why their job was available the departure of Rick Carlisle, um, who said that he he left because it was you never want to feel like you're overstaying your welcome. To me, he just basically saying, hey, you know, stagnant. I've been here for a while. I'm ready for a change of scenery. And what does he do? Follows in the footsteps. Well, not follows, but just like Jason Kidd, he decides to have a reunion with his former team. Goes back to the Pacers, uh, where where he was able to coach them for uh, for a few years back in the past. Carlisle spent 13 years in Dallas, amassing a record of 555 and 478 losses, um, coaching and leading them to one of the biggest upsets in franchise history, not just in franchise history, in NBA history, upsetting the Heatles, which is LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Mario Chalmers. Um, they had uh, Udonis Havlin was their, like their starting unit, uh, upsetting them in 2011 for the Mavs' one and only title. Uh, where he was with, obviously, Jason Kidd. Carlisle, who coached the Pacers for four years from 2003 to 2004, uh, leading them to the conference finals once, looks to bring the Pacers back into title contention as they didn't make the playoffs this year but have some good pieces uh, on the roster. And, and I feel Carlisle would do well coaching that team up. You got Sabonis, you got Miles Turner, you got a great point guard, and Malcolm Brogdon. You added Karis LeVert, who didn't seem like he fit all the time this year. See if if he can find a way to make that fit work better with Karis LeVert. And still, you got TJ Warren, who missed a big chunk of last year due to injury. But last time we saw TJ Warren playing, he was playing all-star caliber basketball in the bubble. So, great. I think this is two great hires for these two teams. 
Jason Kidd getting another chance to coach where he wasn't terrible in Milwaukee and Giannis loved him as a coach. And Rick Carlisle, who spent 13 years in Dallas, did everything he could for that franchise. And it was kind of a point where it was like, hey, you know, this this is what it is and it's time for us to move on. And I think he's in a good situation. He's back somewhere where he's still comfortable. And I believe he signed like a three-year, $27 million deal, a $29 million deal, where he'll be comfortable and he'll probably be there for the full remainder of that contract. Um, two things, uh, two rumors on the horizon is we're hearing things like uh, Chauncey Billups is the guy who they're looking at to be the head coach out in Portland, um, which is going to be interesting. Uh, him coaching Dame Lillard, seeing what they're going to do with the rest of the team. It's not set in stone yet. When it is set in stone, of course, the Ice Cold Show is going to be here to break it down for you. With that being said, let's touch back on our quote. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. It's all about believing in yourself. No matter what you've been through in the past or no matter what you're going to go through in the future, as long as you have that belief in yourself and as long as you have yourself, you have enough to get through it. It's been another episode, a great episode of the Ice Cold Show. I thank y'all for bearing with me. Tomorrow, it'll be one month since the podcast started. One whole month that I've been bringing y'all the NBA playoffs, uh, UFC talking a little bit about different sporting news events. And I, I just want to thank y'all for the support. It's been an amazing ride. I can't wait to keep going. And we got a million more months to go. As always, it's your boy Ice Cole. And it's been uh, the night. Like this, and you ain't never hit the trap like this. So stop front, nigga. I stayed down for the come up. A nigga grinding to the sun up. I'm trying to stack these funds up. Make sure I raise my sons the right way. Could give a fuck about what you might say. It ain't a-